But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another of the moon, and another of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Michael Berry made 100 million for himself and 700 million for his investors. Jared Vennett made $47 million and Steve Eisman's team over a billion there at Front Point. We're talking about the global financial crisis, which they foresaw. Many didn't. $5 trillion were lost, 8 million lost their jobs, and 6 million their homes. And I think that's just in the United States. Now, if you've seen the movie, The Big Short, it's a great film, you'll at least be, in a small sense, familiar with it. Uh, and a number of you here today actually worked 
through it to preserve us from the worst of it. But those who did foresee the financial crisis in the lead up to 2007 made a killing. And knowing the future does enable us to invest wisely in the present. It's a simple fact of life. And that's our theme today. The athlete invests wisely. The podium is in their sights, and so they train today. The wannabe politician is looking which way, which way, which way is going to win. And if they invest wisely their investments, or it might do them some good in the future. But as we come to the end of 1 Corinthians, the apostle is wanting his readers to invest wisely today in the light of the certain event of the resurrection from the dead. The key verse is verse 58. We're going to come back and spend a whole Sunday morning on it at, as it were, the beginning of the year, which we run September to September. So on August the 28th, we're going to spend a whole morning on verse 58. But there it is, be steadfast and immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The word abounding there is full to overflowing. Be full to overflowing in the work of the Lord in the light of the resurrection from the dead, knowing that you are not wasting your time. So our subject is the future, and you might give this talk the title, How to be on the right side of eternity or possibly how to be really progressive. Now already the apostle has insisted that the resurrection of Jesus demands the resurrection from the dead. He's provided evidence for us. We've had the eyewitnesses at the beginning of the chapter, the whole of the Old Testament speaking of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Then there's been the straight logic. You know, if Jesus has been raised and the whole of the Old Testament demands that the resurrection of the life-giving Messiah brings the resurrection of the dead at the end of time, then given that Jesus has been raised, the resurrection from the dead at the end of time is already a cert. This irrefutable fact of history, the resurrection of Jesus, demands the coming resurrection of all. And Paul has described, therefore, the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruits, the first swallow of summer, the first snowdrop of spring, the first ripe fig. But someone asks, if you say there is to be a resurrection from the dead, well, kind of what will it be like? And 35 through 57 begin to unpack that for us. That's our passage today. So 35, someone will ask, how are the dead rise? With what kind of body do they come? Three simple points. Your body will be different. Your body will be glorious. Your body will be immortal. Therefore, be steadfast. First, your body will be different. That is, God will give you a new body that is different. Paul is characteristically blunt in verse 36. You foolish person. I don't think this is a rebuke section. I think he's instructing them in some of the details of the resurrection from the dead. And in verse 36 onwards, he begins to unpack the different body you and I will be given if we trust the Lord Jesus. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. 
One glory of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now, the argument is quite simple. From the power of God in creation and the will of God over all things, God is gonna bring about the resurrection of the dead. He has the power to do it and he will do it as he decides. The argument is essentially from horticulture, so if you struggle with growing things, this may be a bit of a mystery to you, and cosmology. So, horticulture, the seed falls into the ground, the seed dies. God then provides for that seed a new body. It emerges from the old, it's radically different. And so the seed falls into the ground and then a new body comes and that's how God has ordered this creation. Verse 39 through 41 then begin to stress the variety. Of course God's able to make a new body for you. Just look at the different bodies that he's created around the universe with their great variety. Not all flesh, verse 39, is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Heavenly bodies, earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one kind, the glory of the earthly is other. Look at the sun, look at the moon, look at the stars. Now, in a week where the James Webb Telescope has uncovered for us in greater detail than we ever could have imagined seeing, this is a wonderful week to be thinking about this. The stars have a resplendence unlike anything on Earth. Each star differs from another. And since God brought into being the variety, beauty, and grandeur, the scale of the universe with just a word at creation, oh, he's perfectly able to provide a different physical body for you with just a word at the new creation. The key to the whole is the power of God and the will of God. He's able, he has determined it will happen. I guess if you have a low view of God's power in creation, you will find it hard to get hold of this. But if the whole Bible speaks of God's power in creation, look at the life of Jesus and you will see God's power in creation. Look at the resurrection and you will see God's power in new creation. This key truth is key for those who wonder about our bodies on the other side of the grave at the return of Jesus as he comes to reign and we are to reign with him. Oh, you say there is a future? Yes, I do. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees it. The resurrection of the dead is to come and he will give you a new body, a different body. But this is also a key truth for those of us who worry about long lost relatives and friends whose mortal remains have long since perished either in the fires of cremation or over time through disintegration. Oh, God can perfectly easily clothe afresh whatever form the deceased are currently in. This also challenges, I think, our view of the physical future beyond the grave. And I wonder if it may be, as it has been to me, a little bit of a challenge as to my own view of what lies beyond the grave at the resurrection of the dead. Paul is not arguing here for a recycling of the body. It's not that we will basically be in this body, but that metal kneecap, which has been giving me such jip for so long, but I haven't got a metal kneecap, but you know what I mean. Or the rheumatism, or actually I'll get new dentures, or something small like that. Nor is he kind of suggesting some kind of reanimation of this body. So there's a monument back there, uh, uh, over there to Sir Francis Bancroft, and Sir Francis Bancroft had a view of the resurrection from the dead. 
I guess his tomb was out in the graveyard, and when they dug up all the bodies and all the rest, so they brought the monuments in and stuck them on the walls, and the, the, the bones were reburied somewhere else. But Francis Bancroft had in his will that every year there should be a service, and at the end of the service, a bottle of port and a loaf of bread should be put in the entrance to his tomb in case the resurrection from the dead happened that day, and he emerged and was feeling just a tiny bit peckish. After all, he's been dead since 1776. No, that's not the picture at all, is it? It's a different kind of body, a various kind of body. Look at the stars, look at the moon, look at the sun. You really think you're going to be this rather sad body? Sorry if this is offensive to you, but you're going to have this rather sad body that looks at you out of the mirror when you rise from the dead? Come on, think a bit bigger. What a small view of God. Of course God is able to bring about the resurrection of the dead but your body will be as distinct as the oak tree is from the acorn, or as this courgette is from this seed. I mean, would you imagine it in this creation that from this seed, you'd end up with this and this and any number of other these as courgettes with the sun out as it is, produce and produce and produce. You just wouldn't imagine it. Come on, how big is your God? and go outside this evening, if you dare, or out into the country, which many of you will be fleeing to because of the terror of the heat, and you will discover, as you look up at the night sky, God is perfectly able to give you a new body. And that's where we go in verse 30, 42 to 49, where we look at the 50, the glory, 42 to 50. God will give you a glorious Body. It will be a spiritual body. Your resurrection body will be glorious. And again, this I think is going to challenge, certainly it has challenged me. Now I can imagine one or two, maybe in their late teens or early 20s, saying, well, but you, know, you don't know about my body. I mean, it's already glorious. So <laughs> I have a study that looks out over some of these glass buildings here. And I, I mean, honestly, I don't spend my life looking out of the window. But when I do look out of the window, how often do you see somebody walking past the glass windows going, hmm, I look really rather good today. You know, so some of us will think our body is really rather glorious. Just keep breathing, and soon you'll look as haggard as I do. A word in your ear. You are perishing from the moment of birth, like the cut flower. Unfortunately, it's just fallen out of the pulpit, but I, I brought the cut flower from last week in. It's completely dead. That's you. From the moment of birth, you're perishing. You're dying from the moment you're born. Now, it may be in 42 to 44, when Paul talks about the body being sown, he is using the language of what is sown in procreation, at conception. Equally likely, he's using the language of what is sown when your corpse is placed six foot under. To be honest, both are the same, because from the moment of conception, you're dying, you're flesh. Look at verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. The word is actually a soul-ish body, a soul body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a soul body, there's also a spiritual body. 
So it's perishable, this body of yours, like the cut flower we just talked about. It's dishonorable. That is, one author puts it like this, the body we currently inhabit is, quote, quickly despoiled of the short-lived attractiveness which it had when young. That's beautifully put, isn't it? This body of yours is quickly despoiled of the short-lived... I'm terribly sorry for those of us like myself who are over 60. It's rather brutal, isn't it? But it is quickly despoiled of the short-lived attractiveness with which it had when it was young. <laughs> I know a number of people in this congregation just had their cataracts done. I'll never forget my dad having his cataracts done. And when he'd had his cataracts done and could then see again, he, he said to me, I looked in the mirror, William, and I just didn't recognize the guy looking back because he hadn't been able to see properly for 10 years. And just the kind of the decay that had happened meanwhile, he didn't recognize himself. This was him being, you know, um, just joking. It's weak, your body. There is nothing more impotent or powerless than a corpse, is there? Just nip up to Tesco's, go to the meat stand, have a word with the chicken. Impotent, can't move. And it's sown soul-ish, mortal. But do you see what is buried perishable will be raised imperishable. What is buried dishonorable will be raised in glory. What is buried weak will be raised in power. And what is buried soul-ish will be raised spiritual. So it's not that we won't have a body. Oh, we'll have a body. It's not that we'll be transmuted as a disembodied soul to heaven where we will sit on a cloud playing a harp like the Heineken advert of old. We won't. But our earthly mortal body will be raised at the resurrection in the new age by Jesus and our bodies will be radically and unalterably changed into imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies fit for heaven and eternity. We will be physically, but physical, but of a totally different order. If there is a natural soulish body, there is a spiritual body. But we need to get the timing right, and that's where Paul goes in verse 45. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first. It's the natural comes first, then the spiritual. I suspect the Corinthians are thinking somehow they'd already got their spiritual bit. No, 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 you haven't died yet. The natural doesn't come, to, the spiritual doesn't come till the return of Christ. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven, and the man of dust, so also are we who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Now we get a glimpse of this, don't we, in the resurrection body of Jesus. That his body is able to walk through doors and yet is able to eat fish. But here's something to ponder, and I don't have an absolute answer for this. Be interested to know what you think. The resurrection body of Jesus is not the ascended body of Jesus. If we want to gain a glimpse of the ascended body of Jesus, we need to read the account of the transfiguration or the image of the Son of Man in the book of Daniel or the early verses of Revelation chapter 1. So we read that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And we read of one standing like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash. The hairs of his head were white like wool, 
as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. So the, if you like, spiritual body of the Lord Jesus was radically different to the physical body of the Lord Jesus. Oh yes, he's raised, but he's raised different. And it is this different spiritual reality that Jesus brought into being through his own conquering death. No more perishability, no more weakness for you, no more dishonor for you, no more soul-ish mortality for you. The soul body in which your soul still exists on this earth is perishable, weak, impotent. The spiritual body which will reign with Christ will be transformed by the man of heaven fit for heaven. Now, I want to do a tiny aside here because I know numbers of you have studied 1 Corinthians before and I want to just throw something out for you to ponder. What is interesting here is that Paul seems to stress difference and discontinuity far more than similarity and continuity. He doesn't appear particularly to stress the physical nature of the new body. Some have argued over the last around about 30 years that all of the problems in Corinth come because the Corinthians had paid too much attention to their Greek philosophy classes that the Greek philosophers taught that physical matter was somehow less spiritual than the spiritual realm. The argument has gone something like this. The Corinthians were classic Greek dualists. They thought that matter is bad and the soul distinct from the body needs redeeming and that the soul alone has been redeemed and that the body therefore would be shed like a snake's skin at the resurrection. And the argument is that's why their behavior was so unchristian because it didn't really matter what they did with their body and only the spiritual mattered and so they were right on with the spiritual but in terms of food, alcohol and so many other things they were all over the shop. If that is correct, the one place that you would accept Paul more than anywhere else to stress continuity and the physical nature of the future would be 1 Corinthians 15. But he doesn't really. And uh, my suggestion is that it may actually be much, much simpler than people have suggested it is over the last 30 years. It, it may just be that the Corinthians, as it were, hadn't grasped the glory and the wonder and the majesty of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done through his death and resurrection. They had far too small a view of it. And all this stuff about you know, Greek philosophy and all the rest of it, well, it may be useful, but I just wonder if it is as kind of uh, close to the letter of people have been suggesting for the last 30 years. The trouble with that line is it makes the Corinthians into a kind of rather weird and eccentric group who we don't quite understand. And I wonder if more the case is that the Corinthians just haven't grasped who they are in Christ where they're going in Christ, what God has in store for them, that he's about this new creation, this new work 
in which they will be redeemed and given these glorious new bodies. Now to come back to the main track, your body will perish, your body will rot in the ground, there will be a radical resurrection. Your body is not fit for eternity. Your soulish existence does not cut the mustard. And what needs to happen to your body is a total transformation in something that, whilst recognizably you, will be radically different. As different as this is from this. As an aside, it may be that you have a low view of your body. It may be. I'm not happy with my weight, so I'm speaking. You, know, you, you, you may not feel happy with your weight. You, you may not be happy with your height. You may not be ha happy with your hearing or your hair color or the shape of your legs or the size of your feet. It, it may be that you have too high a view of your body and you're forever preening yourself in front of the mirror. However glorious this body is, it's history. It's gonna go out the window. It's gonna rot. And I uh, had living near to me somebody who uh, ran the club that Muhammad Ali used to go to uh, when he used to come to London. And, you know, if ever you saw a physical specimen, it was Muhammad Ali. Apparently, he didn't just have the physical, well, we all know, didn't just, he also had the kind of personality presence in the whole place. It was a huge club, but the whole place would just gravitate around him when he came. The last time he came, well, he couldn't even feed himself. Your body's on the way out. But there is a physical future, connected, but not the same. Radically different. God has in store for the Christian something spectacularly glorious, the like of which you and I can't barely imagine as different from what you currently inhabit as the oak tree is from the acorn. It's amazing to think about. So how is this going to happen? When's this going to happen? We'll look at verses 51 through 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now this begins to deal with the timing. Paul refers to those who've already died at the return of Jesus as being asleep. So Francis Bancroft, Paul would describe as being asleep. Jesus would describe him the same way. Not all will be asleep because when Jesus comes, it'll come, he'll come suddenly and some of us will still be alive. Not all will have died. The souls of those who have died already will go immediately to be with the Lord but they won't be fitted with their new body until the resurrection from the grave. If you want to look further into that, think of the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. Or Paul in, one, in, in Philippians chapter one, I want to depart and be with the Lord. So the dead departed, if they're in Christ, they go to be with the Lord, their soul goes to be with the Lord. Immediately, they're there with him in what the Bible calls paradise. But that's not their end state. Now the end state comes when the trumpet sounds and the trumpet will wake those who are sleeping. You may feel that your teenage son or daughter needs a trumpet to wake them from their sleep. Well, the dead in their graves, the trumpet will sound, Christ will return 
his awakening trumpet will bring the souls of the dead departed who will come with him and the dead bodies will be resurrected and then they will be clothed in their new immortal heavenly form fit for eternity. Those of us who are still alive when he returns will be similarly transformed. And do you see how, when, how it's going to happen? Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. It's remarkable, isn't it? And Paul then quotes from Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13. Isaiah 25 talks about the shroud of death. You make your bed, you put a sheet over it, shake out the duvet, maybe you never, someone wants you looking at me rather spry, you never make your bed, okay, fair enough. But imagine somebody making your bed, they shake out the sheet over it, a shroud covers the whole. This is the shroud of death that covers all of humanity. And Isaiah 25 says it will be swallowed up, gone forever. Beautiful picture of God leaning forward and wiping away tears from the eyes of those who grieve. And then Hosea, death, where is your victory? That's a kind of, it's a victory song. You know, you're not singing anymore, death. You've been vanquished, conquered at the cross when Jesus triumphed over death through his own death, banished at the resurrection of the dead. So it seems that the Corinthian church had far too low a view of what Jesus Christ has achieved through his death and resurrection. And what Jesus will bring at the resurrection from the grave is something far greater and more splendid and more glorious than you've ever imagined. Well, I popped down to see my elderly mother this week for 24 hours. And uh, I took her for a walk on my arm around the garden. I remember doing the same with my grandmother when she was at a similar stage of life. My mum always asks me what I'm speaking on this Sunday, and if I happen not to be speaking, she gives a slight disapproving rock. No, she doesn't, she doesn't. Just a few weeks ago, I was speaking on the Song of Songs, which, as you know, is a love poem, and she said, well, I'm going to read it. So she read it for the next three weeks, so when I saw her again, she said, it's a love poem, isn't it, darling? I said, yes, it is, mother, and then left further explanation to another time. Uh, she also said very astutely, nothing has changed, has it, in the last 3,000 years? She thought it was very astute. But after she asked me what I was speaking on uh, a couple of days ago, I said, I'm speaking on the resurrection of the body. And we had a little chat. And then it was a real joy to be able to say to her, you will have a different body. You will have a glorious body. And you will have an immortal body at the resurrection of the dead. Well, given that that is the future, how then will you invest? That's the question we come back to. Michael Berry made 100 million for himself, 700 for his clients. Jared Bennett made 47 million, and Steve Eisman's team at Front Point, over a billion. Five trillion dollars were lost. Eight million lost their jobs. Six million their homes. You know the future now. How will you invest your present? We're going to spend all of Sunday, the 28th of August, on verse 58. So we're going to finish 1 Corinthians next week, and we're going to come back to verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15 
at the beginning of our year, because it's such a good verse for that, but just glance at it now. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. That takes us back to the beginning of the chapter, stand firm. Be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding is literally full to overflowing. I'm down at Ashburnham with a whole group of people. It's a big country house, and in one of the gardens, they have a huge saucer, massive, massive saucer on a pedestal, and it's a sort of fountain feature, and it fills up, and yesterday the fountain was running, and all over the sides, it was just overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. Since you know God's future, which is to bring about the resurrection of the dead, always be overflowing with the work of the Lord. Keep on overflowing. No matter what age you are, keep on overflowing with the work of the Lord because you're investing in eternity. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. It's not futile. It's not pointless. And the work of the Lord in 1 Corinthians, I don't want to preempt too much about August the 28th, but the work of the Lord in 1 Corinthians is the work of the Christian gospel. It is not building buildings in this world. It is not kind of doing your plumbing or uh, collecting the garbage or being a farmer in this world. In 1 Corinthians, the work of the Lord is indisputably gospel work. Paul says, we are fellow workers. I laid a foundation. Each one's work will be manifest on the day when Jesus returns. The work is the work of the gospel. It's speaking of Jesus to your colleagues at work. It's living for Jesus in a way that commends the gospel. Actually, the job you do is totally irrelevant to Jesus. It's how you do it. The work of the Lord, speaking to your colleagues, talking to your friends about the living Lord Jesus, living in a way which honors him. And the work of the Lord is at church, encouraging brothers and sisters through the week, edification and evangelism, speaking of the Lord Jesus, leading a small group. You know, if you put leading a small group on a back burner for five years because really just, well, maybe this is the time to pick it up and do it again, to be involved in the work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord is welcoming people at the door. And the work of the Lord is playing music so we can sing to one another and encourage one another. The work of the Lord is coming to church, saying your prayers. Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the work of the Lord. Next week, we'll see Timothy is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Timothy is spreading the gospel. The work of the Lord is talking to somebody, a fellow passenger on the train about the Lord Jesus, turning to them, hey, how's your day been? I know if you're English, you can't do that. Well, be brave, you're Christian. Imagine you're not English. Imagine you're Australian turn to them. How did you watch the rugby? Or whatever it happens to be, you're in a conversation. The work of the Lord is investing for eternity. And given that this eternity awaits us, be steadfast and immovable. Always full to overflowing with the work of the Lord Jesus. Knowing that when you get there, why there will be an army, an army of others in whom you have invested to welcome you. I'm going to say a prayer. It sounds like the children are upon us. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for this extraordinary glimpse into your eternal future. We thank you that the Lord Jesus has redeemed us out of this perishing age 
and that he will clothe us with spiritual bodies fit for eternity. We pray that you would help us to continue immovable and overflowing in your work for your namesake. Amen.